important message and it's called the church's greatest hour. And you might think, well, why would you call this the church's greatest hour? Because of the hour we're in, because of the adversity that the church is going through. And, you know, it's in a time of adversity that really what we are comes forth. It shows who we really are. And it also shows the church who the church really is. And and we, we see, and I think Terry and Brenda both mention in their prayer time, that their fear is rampant in our nation. Fear is rampant in our nation. I, I got a, I've got a chart here that one of my buddies out in Utah, Dr. Lori Vervek, she, she has her Ph.D. in child trauma, uh, specializing in sexual early childhood trauma. But she put this up on Facebook, and I believe it's true just based on what we have seen, but, but there is 82.9% of the people, the new cases that are dealing with mental health issues, are anxiety. I mean, who would not think that was the case, right? How about 58.2% are depression? 58.2% are depression. 50.7% are sleep issues. We have 42.6% are grief. Uh, 32.2% panic attacks. 27.5% other things. 18.9% substance abuse. 18.8% obsessive-compulsive disorder, and almost 9% are domestic violence issues. Now, that's from the survey that has been taken from those that have responded. We ourselves in our counseling business have seen certainly domestic violence issues go up. We've seen anxiety and depression issues go up. We've seen uh, substance issues certainly increase, uh, concerns with them. Uh, You know, so it, it is real. What's going on in our nation is real. And so we have to... Look at the church. You know, the church is really being marginalized. Who in the world would ever have conceived that the church would be considered non-essential? Who would have ever thought that the church would have been considered non-essential? But, you know, we live in a dark dark world, and the church is the only light that, that comes into the world. We are the light, and we have to understand that the church is the only answer to the evil that's prevalent in the world. We're the only answer. Evil doesn't snuff out evil. Darkness doesn't snuff out darkness. It takes light to rid rid darkness. And so as, as the church is going through this time of adversity, it's a great time for us to realize our strengths, and it's also a great time for us to realize our weaknesses. It's a time for us to realize what's really important to us and what maybe isn't so important to us. Maybe where we've spent a lot of time and effort and energy and focusing, where we really don't, that's not that important at the end of the day. So it's a a great time for the church, but it's also a great time for the church to be recognized for who it is if the church will do it. If the church will do it. And I believe a lot of the church is confused on who they really are. Much of the church thinks they're just an organizational system of religion. It's a job. You know, it's just just an organization. It's just something you do on Sunday morning. Many, Many, I believe many people think that. But Jesus wasn't confused at all. He said the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. He knew exactly who the church was and what it was supposed to be. The church was birthed for confrontation with darkness. The church was birthed for confrontation with darkness. And and the church is the vehicle that God has chosen to reveal himself to the world. The church is the vehicle God has chosen to reveal himself to the world. In 1 John 3, 8, it says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of darkness. He came to push back darkness. That's the, that's our job. If you want a job description, people will say, well, in the, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in the church. You're supposed to be pushing back darkness. Wherever you go, you push back darkness. Well, what's my title? You're, you're a darkness pusher backer. <laughs> If you gotta have a title. But your job is to push back darkness wherever you might go, whatever that might be. And, and that's why, you know, earlier we prayed for Duke and Ron as they're starting that new business. See, Marketplace is a great place to push back darkness. Marketplace is an incredible place to push back darkness. And, and we, and we, ha- the church needs to expand the kingdom of God, which means we are supposed to be light in this dark world. Amen. So if on, it can only become the church's greatest hour if the church realizes who they really are. If the church gets out of this identity crisis that it's been going through, I think, for about 2,000 years, really. Well, maybe about 1,700 years, maybe. So we have to understand that the church was born for, for confrontation. You know, and Derek Prince, I just, I, and actually I put some copies of this on the back, it's, and I, you've heard me say this, and I think other people have said it, but as the church goes, so goes the nation. 
I'm just going to read a couple of little paragraphs out of what Derek Prince wrote many years ago. He said, my theme is that, in this a little booklet that he wrote, my theme is that in any nation where the church is established, God holds the church accountable for the condition of that nation. I believe that. God holds the church accountable for the condition of that nation. He said, this is a sobering and far-reaching thought. Ultimately, what we know to, what we want to do is reach and impact America. He said, if I had to reach America directly today, this gathering in the church would be the wrong place for me. I'm not so sure today. Might be a good place to reach darkness inside the church. He said, uh, because all or nearly all of you are committed believers. Now, in this case, that's, you know, I believe that here. But as we go out into the airwaves, there may be people, I believe there's people listening who maybe aren't committed believers. Maybe they have, they're fed up. We heard, we've heard people even this week said, I'm just sick of church. I'm not going to church anymore. Because they're tired of the games. They're tired of the religious structure that's there. They're tired of no power, no life, nothing. They're tired of it just being an organization. And it says, but to effectively reach America, anyone concerned has to reach the church. We've got to read the church if we're going to reach America. That's why my passion is so much for the church. I minister on the church all of the time. If we don't reach the church, the church will not reach America. And then it goes on to say, it is through the church that God reaches and impacts the nation. God also judges the church in a nation, partly by the condition of the nation for which he holds the church accountable. And then he goes on to say, so what is the church? And he talks about ecclesia. We've talked a lot about that word, ecclesia. It's not, you know, church appears nowhere in the original language. But he said the ecclesia is Christ's governing body on earth. We're responsible to heed his statutes, exercise vice regency, and administrate his government. So we, you know, the church is the, the authorized agent for the government of God in the earth. Do we understand that? We're the authorized agent for the kingdom of God in the earth. And then it goes on to say, you can see that this is a totally strange concept to the majority of churchgoers today, yet the word of God is settled and therefore Christ holds us accountable for the way we do it or way we don't do it. When we look at postmodern America and say it's a mess, these people are awful, Jesus looks at us, the church, and asks, what are you doing about it? I hold you accountable in many respects, not all respects, for what your nation has become. Summing up, what God will do in America depends largely on what the church will do. Did you hear that? What God does in America depends largely on what the church does. Should I say it again? What God will do in America depends largely on what the church will do. I'll give you one familiar scripture, which is the number one scripture for all intercessors. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people are called by my name, right, and humble themselves and repent and turn from their wicked ways, he says, I will heal their land. You know, last week I just went, I just felt impressed to go through a study of things that, that, uh, that defile our land. And the scripture's full of things that defile our land that are so prevalent in our culture today. Very clear in scripture. There's no excuse. No excuse. Very clear. He said, his, but what it means is that God is to heal our land. His, if God is to heal our land, his people will have to do something. If his people do not do it, he will not heal the land. And then it says, so in many ways, not in every respect, the destiny of America is in the hands of the church, people like us. Do we realize our responsibility? It is a very solemn responsibility. It is a very solemn responsibility. And so uh, some of you, if if you're here, and also I think I put this on Facebook and through my blog, we are going to do something because we're a praying church anyway, right? We pray, we pray, we pray last night, we pray all the time. Well, beginning March 22nd, I'm calling for nine days of consistent prayer here at the church. And we're going to pray for our nation because those nine days are going to lead up to May 31st, which is Pentecost Sunday. Now, I believe I felt this for some weeks as I've studied the the Passover and all of that's associated with the Passover. I believe this Pentecost Sunday is going to be a very special time. I don't know why. I've just felt it in my spirit. I didn't know why. But I've heard many, many prophets who are a lot smarter than I am in all of this, and they, they're saying the same thing. Many of them are saying that the situation with the COVID quarantine, we literally experienced a Passover, a literal Passover with the quarantine. And they say they believe that God is telling them we're also going to experience a literal Pentecost 
where there's going to be a great outpouring. But the outpouring is not so we can have goosebumps and roll in the aisle and jump and shout and run. All that's wonderful. But that's not the purpose of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is here to change lives and to change the world and convict the lost. And so I believe that outpouring is for the harvest that's to come. But if the church isn't healthy, the church is not going to be a part of that harvest. And we need to be a part. How many want to be a part of the harvest that's coming? Well, we need to be empowered by Holy Spirit. You know, I think, and I'll begin teaching next week on, on the Holy Spirit for a couple of weeks. I guess I only have two weeks now. Uh, but normally we'd start earlier, but we just, in, in, this is just an unusual time, isn't it? But the, the, the birth of the church happened on the day of Pentecost. And so we have to understand as a church, we have to understand who we are and what we are supposed to be doing and that, and that, that the church was truly birthed for confrontation. Now let me tell you, you were birthed for confrontation. You were birthed for confrontation. Uh, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, and I don't know about you, but how many of us think that maybe the Garden of Eden was just a nice little happy place? Nice little flowers planted everywhere, never any weeds or anything. You know, all the animals loved each other and talked to each other. No dog fights like we have at home sometimes, you know. Oh, somebody gets somebody else's bone. But, you know, you, that, we kind of think that, well, that's what it was like. Well, that's not really, I don't think that's really what it was like. Number one, we know that there was a, a deceiver in the garden, right? But then we look at Genesis one twenty eight, and it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. It's very important we understand what that word subdue means. It says, And have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, every living thing that moves on the earth. And that word subdue, let me just read this. It's, this is out of one of the lexicons. I think it's a theological word book. It says, This verb and its derivative occurs 15 times in the Old Testament. Is evidently related to the Akkadian kabasu, which means to tread down, and the Arabic kabasa, which means to stamp, to knead, or to press, to seize with your hand. In the Old Testament, it means to make, to serve, to force if necessary, to use force if necessary. And then it goes on to say, despite recent interpretations of Genesis 1 and 28, which have tried to make subdue mean a relationship or responsibility for building up, it's obviously, from an overall study of the word, this is not the case. It is This word, kabas, kabas, assumes that the party being subdued is hostile to the subduer, necessitating some sort of coercion. So right at the very beginning, he's telling mankind, he says, I want you to, you're going to have to be hostile because there's going to be something hostile against you. There's going to be something that's going to be coming against you. And I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to take that authority. I want you to walk in dominion. So from the very beginning, we were created to rule over something, anything that was confrontational to the will of God, right? You know, and you think, you go back and there's so much we don't know in the scripture. There's so much that the scripture doesn't tell us. But there's so much that it tells us that because we've put these filters of religious education on, we don't see a lot of the things that are really hidden in the Scripture. Important things, right? And so I, I ask people all the time, can, can we learn to read the Scripture with no filters? Get rid of my Baptist, early Baptist filter. Get rid of my Pentecostal filter. Get rid of everything my grandma and grandpa told me. And just read it black words on white pages. And then connect it all together. You can't pull one verse off and make a, a theology out of it. And that's what happens a lot of times. Oh, I like that one. Let's just create our theology here. And that's what all, that's what creeds and all these things are. They, we just simply have distilled this word of God down to a smaller portion that we can, that we can say, this is what I believe. So we, we really need to study the word of God in its entirety from Genesis to Revelation. And you can never pull one scripture out and say this is this is the absolute. It's got to blend and it's got to be in agreement with all the other scripture. So, is there another scripture from that's similar to Genesis one twenty eight? There's many, but let me just give you a couple. Luke ten nineteen, Jesus said, "You shall have authority to tread over the devil." Now he was very specific. God didn't necessarily say you're going to subdue the devil in the garden, but Jesus said, "Hey, I'm giving you authority to tread over the devil." Psalm 91, listen to this. You tread on the lion and the adder. You will trample, crush, fierce lions and serpents where underneath your feet. We have to know who we are. Let me tell you, if you don't know who you are and if you don't take that authority, the devil's going to eat your lunch. And you're going to walk in defeat and not in victory. Ours, our victory is to lose, not to win. We have the victory. Joshua 1, 3, the Lord told Joshua, he says, every place your foot treads, I've already given it to you. I've already given it to you. 
Every place that your foot treads, he says, subdue the earth. And we know that land represents covenant, don't we? Well, let's look later over in, in Genesis chapter 12. And God appeared to Abraham. Now, God's getting, he's saying, well, you know, I just need me a group of people. So that's telling me there's a bunch of other, you, you ever ask yourself, where do all these other people come from? So we come up with these theological answers that really don't make sense, right? You know, Martians dropped them out sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> or they're sons of, of demons. And I mean, who I don't know the real answer. I just know they're there. And I don't even care how they got there, right? I just know we're given authority. But Genesis 12, it says, Abram was sent into the land of Cana, occupied by people who were wicked and idolatrous. So it tells us the land of Canaan is a land that is the, it's the promise. And so we think about Cana being a bad place. Canaan's a good place. That's where the promise was. But it just happened to be occupied by people who were wicked and idolatrous. Let me tell you, anything God's promised you, the devil's wanting it if he doesn't already have it. Now, some of you might have children that are serving the enemy. That means they're in Canaan and they're being occupied by idolatry and wickedness. But let me tell you, the promise is yours to go get it. The promise is yours. You cannot let your children stay in that state. You have to break the covenant off of your family that they have made with the, with the, the covenants of the world. We'll talk about that in a minute. But so Canaan was a good place, but its inhabitants were evil. And so, um, Exodus 3, 8, and this is now he's, he's got to Moses. You know, Abraham's done his thing. We're going to come back to Abraham in a minute. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen to where he's going to take them, to the place of the Canaanites. Now, typically, Canaan was a whole land, but there were then clans or tribes in there. And so it's a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And so years ago, back maybe six or eight years ago, the Lord told me to look up the root of these names. I'm just going to give you what these things represent. See if they sound familiar to you, okay? If we go back and look at these root words, this is what they really mean. The root word of the Canaanites is lies and blasphemies. These are strongholds, by the way. These are strongholds that the devil wants to use to keep you and keep your family, and keep you in bondage and everything else. Canaanites, lies, and uh, blasphemies. Hittites, fear, and terror. Can we say there's a stronghold of a Hittite spirit covering our nation today? That word is fear and terror. The Amorites was self-centeredness or self-focus. Can we say amen to that one? The parasites, listen to this, was strife, division, and discord. Have we ever seen so much strife in our nation, in our churches, in our homes, in our schools? Hivites, false gospel or humanism. You see that spirit that's working through? It's a stronghold in the churches of a, a doctrine of demons that's not, even, that's not even the real word of God. Jebusites, lustful cravings. Have we ever seen a place or a time when there's so much lust in the world? Immoralities and just lust for money, greed, that spirit of mammon and all these other things. Now if we jump over to Exodus 7, there's one more that he adds and that is the Gergesites, Shites. Now this is a biggie, the Gergesites, and they're mentioned several places. But that word, root word of that means rebellion against the will of God. Rebellion against the will of God. Let me tell you something. These are strongholds that are running in our nation today. They're in our political system. They're in our church system. They're in our educational system. They're in our nation. They're in the media. They're in every seven cultural mountains. So he said, I'm taking you to this place. But by the way, these guys are there. You got to get rid of them. You got to get rid of them. And, and so actually in one place, he says, I'm going to get rid of them for you. But you can't make any kind of alignment with them. He don't marry them. Don't, don't celebrate with them. Don't fellowship with them. And what did they do? Exactly what he said not to do. Exactly what he said. Joshua 1.14, he told Joshua, he says, but your, but your strong warriors, fully armed, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory. Again, it's taking, taking into the same nations, conquering their territory. I read this uh, recently. Charles Spurgeon says, I believe one reason the church of God has little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. That is true. We can't win the world with the world's tools and, and mechanisms. We have the only thing that's going to overcome evil is is goodness, holiness, faith, and light. We have to take light into this dark world. 
And so that was the early church. That was the first church. Abraham was the first church. And it tells us about the, the, the tribes that came out of, of Egypt. Those were the church in the wilderness. We, we hear about it. Paul called them that. But now we also see in the New Testament that the church was birthed for confrontation. Matthew sixteen eighteen and 19 says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon that revelation of, of the revelation he is the Messiah, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. What is Jesus saying? He's not saying, well, the church is going to be a great little organization. You're just going to have safety and security. Everybody's going to love you. You don't have to worry about it. They're going to come flocking to your door every Sunday. He said, the gates of hell are going to come against you. There's going to be confrontation. He said, but don't worry. It's not going to conquer you. And then it says, and then he goes on to say, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. See, how do we, how do we overcome the gates of hell authority? See, the first was warfare. The second's authority. He said, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth or bind on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit or loose on earth will be loosed in heaven or permitted. The translation actually says, whatever you bind on earth must have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth must have already been loosed in heaven. So it's not us binding and loosing things that we have no authority to bind and loose. Right? So, so we, the church, and, and so Jesus is telling his disciples, hey guys, there's an opposing force. It's, it's going to come against you. It's going to be antagonistic to you. But just like in Genesis 1, 28, you have to subdue it. You have to take authority over it. And that's the task we're called to do. Matthew eleven twelve it says, from the time of John the Baptist, they began preaching to now the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. Violent people are attacking. I've said a hundred times, Christianity is not for the weak. It's not for the weak. It's for the strong, right? And if we're not strong and we don't know who we are, I'm telling you, I said it before, the devil's going to eat our lunch. The devil's going to take you out. He's going to take your family out. He's going to take your children out. He's going to take your business out. He's going to take everything you own because he's, he's, he's our enemy. He's our adversary. Speaking of that, 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Paul said, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Let me tell you, there's a wide work that's open for the church. Right now, there's a wide work. But let me tell you, there's adversaries. We have to be people of prayer. We have to know the word. We have to know who we are. We have to walk in our authority. We have to, or we're going to be taken out. And so we have to understand. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, the devil, our adversary, walks around looking for a way to slip in. Just looking for an avenue to slip in. How does he do that? Anger, unforgiveness, immorality, covenants that are unholy covenants. Anyway, the, de- the devil wants to get in there and he wants to work his stuff. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but are we quarantining the wrong virus? What does that virus do? It finds a place it can get in, right? And what it does, as soon as it latches on to a live cell, it starts pumping its mess into that cell and then it spreads it very quickly and very rapidly. The devil's, he's just a virus. He's just a virus. Luke ten nineteen. I told you already, Jesus gave his authority over the devil. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. Why? For a purpose. Deception's his tool. That's how the devil's going to win, through deception. How did, he, how did he defeat Eve? Through deception. The enemy deceived her because he made her think that God was holding out on her. He made her think that she could be more than what God had assigned her to be. That's, a, that's another message all in itself. We need to be satisfied where God has assigned us. And quit trying to do somebody else's assignment. Right? What has God assigned us to do as a church and then as individuals in the body of Christ? First John 5, 4 says, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory, our faith. It takes faith to be victorious. It takes faith, and I'm going to go a little further, it takes radical faith. The kind of faith that makes people nervous when they get around you, right? The kind of faith that makes people think you're fanatical because you want to pray over everything. The kind of faith that wants to say what God says about a situation rather than what the world is saying. You know, the kind of faith that wants you to stand by what's truth and not by what is a lie. That's radical faith. And we're living in, we're living in a world that where I believe a lot of the church has as, as Terry says so many times, drank the Kool-Aid, and they're so apathetic, and they don't really care, right? Is this hard? But I believe that's where we're at today. That's where a lot of the church is. They're just, they're just apathetic. Don't mess with me. Everything's going good. Well, let me tell you, I, I, I'm not prophesying anything, but I'm, we're going to be victorious, but I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But for the church, we can be victorious. 
we can be victorious if we will stand strong. We've got to pray. We've, I'm going to invite you, those nine days, please come. Just those nine days, the 22nd through the 31st, 6.30 in the afternoon, we're going to pray. Possibly we may live stream it if we can online. We've already got some people who say they can't come, but they would love to be a part of that. So we want, to, we want people praying everywhere, right? That's right. So it takes faith to be victorious. And you know, our theme for 2020, uh, the Lord gave us, was the church deployed. You know, it takes faith to deploy. It takes faith to activate. It takes faith to take a step forward, to move forward. You know, we, we need to quit just settling for, you know, whatever. Well, whatever you want me to do, God. No, God's already told us in his word. See, if you don't know the word, you're going to believe the devil. Oh, God's got something else for you to do. What did, what did, what did the devil actually do? He got Eve out of her assigned place. And Adam. He got them out of their assigned place through deception. And that's how the enemy works. That's how the enemy works. So many times we'll hear people say, I know God brought me to this church or God brought me to that church. And there's times that God does move legitimately. There really is. And then next thing you know, well, God's telling me that I need to go to this place. I know they never did what they were told to do at that place. See, because the enemy starts speaking to them and they get deceived and he will move them out of their assigned place. So there is a call to be radical. There's a call to be to have radical faith. And in Luke 18, 8, Jesus said, he said, when the Son of Man comes, will he even find faith on the earth? You ever think about that scripture? When the Son of Man comes, that really became alive to me during this whole COVID-19 thing. 80, what would I say, 83% of the people are living in fear that are polled? 83%? That's a lot of people. You know, you know fear, a fear, gosh, it's horrible. Anxiety, depression, all these are fear-based. Panic attacks, that's fear-based. Hebrews 4.2 says, For the good news came to us just as it did to them, talking about the people of the wilderness, the church in the wilderness, but they didn't mix faith with it, so it didn't do them any good. So you can sit and hear sermons all day long, but are you mixing faith? Is anything happening? Is there any conception taking place? When we mix our faith with the Word of God, that's when we, we have that faith that produces action. Uh, James 2.20 says, Faith without works is useless. You know, I believe, well, I believe you call for the elders of the church, but I don't want them to do that to me today. I'll just stay sick. I'll just, you know, I can pray for myself. Well, that you can, but how's that working for you if you're still struggling, right? Or I believe you should give, but, you know, I can't really afford to do it in this time. I'm so, I'm so thankful for the people of Impact, how you have just come. I mean, we haven't missed a beat financially. I'm so thankful for that. Thank you. All of you, all of you guys out there that have given and, and the special offerings above just our normal thing. I'm, I'm, we're just blown away at the goodness of God. You know why? Because you know the word. That's why you continue to give. You know the word. And you know what the word says about giving. You know how God blesses those who give. But we also know we give for a purpose. It's not just so we can have salaries. If you look at our salaries, you'd know that really wasn't a big deal. Right? But it's that we can help people. We've continued to give into our community to feed the hungry. We've given into other nations to feed the hungry. It's, it's incredible what just the opportunities that God will give to us. James 2.26 says, faith without works is dead. James 2.14 says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? That's what I was talking about a moment ago. He said, can, can that kind of faith really help anybody? I believe God's going to provide for you, Lynn, and I'm going to pray for you. Praise God. We're going to pray into this thing, aren't we? We're going to pray into this thing, and we're going to believe God's going to come through. Now, you just let me know if I can do any more for you. Well, she's saying, my stomach's growling, I need food. They're turning off my power on Friday or whatever it might be. You know, okay, let's bless, let's, let's do put some action to our faith, right? And then, you know, then there's that thing called presumptive faith, and that's where we do something and demand God get on our bandwagon. I'm stepping out in faith, and I'm doing this. I'm buying this, and I know God's going to provide it. And God's not even in it. You know, there's a thing called common sense, Right? I, I told us last week about, pa I love Pastor Robin's story, you know, and a tremendous man of faith. But he was believing, and he had a valid point that he was making. He was believing that God was going to provide the money he needed to buy the old sanctuary. He believed that. That was faith. And finally, he was just sitting there waiting on the check to come in, and the Lord spoke to him and said, are you going to sit here till you die? I think he said, Lester, are you going to sit here till you die? And he gave him a plan, and he went out and he got the money just like that. 
See, sometimes we, we, we want to, this is another important thing. We need a now word. See, that might have been the way God met a need with pastor five years before, ten years before. But that wasn't the way God wanted to meet the need today. You know why? Because he wanted the whole church involved in that blessing. He wanted the whole church to be blessed for giving. He borrowed that money, paid it off in seven years. Borrowed again in 92 to build this sanctuary over a million dollars, paid it off in seven years. See, God wants everybody involved in the miracle. Yes, he does. So we need faith. But let me tell you, you need a now word for today. You don't need last week's word for today, what you're going through today. How is God going to work it out today? Right? Quit looking back. Let's go back, excuse me, go back to Abraham. Genesis 12, 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. Radical faith. He said, Abraham, I want you to pluck up everything you have. I want you to leave everything you've done, everything you've worked for behind. I'm sending you to a place and I'll show you when you get there. Really. He didn't have GPS and he didn't have Google. He'd go online and search out Canaan. He didn't have all that. God just said, you know, basically, you take one step and I'll tell you when to take the next. And you take the next and you take the next. You know, we want a, we want a 12-step plan, don't we, on how God's going to resolve this issue for us. But he told, he told him, he said, the right of, your faith is going to require three things. Number one, it's going to require leaving your country. And years ago when the Lord showed me this, I believe, this is what I believe country represents. I believe it represents covenant. And what he was saying was, I want you to break every past ungodly covenant you have made and leave it behind. Now, what are ungodly covenants? relationships I don't know how many of you might have had to break a relationship when you got born again some people had to get married (laughs) right how about occult relationship how about just immorality how about friends and 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 entertainment things you do see these are ungodly covenants that we make I mentioned the occult. A lot of people are involved in the occult. Reading horoscopes, getting your fortune told, whatever, all these other different things, tea leaves or whatever they are that people get involved with. He said, I want you to leave every covenant you've made and I want you to go to this new place. So that's country. Let me tell you, there's no room in God's kingdom for... You can't bring a worldly covenant into God's covenant kingdom. Can't do it. He will not... The door's not big enough. Right? Number two, he said, I want you to leave your kindred. Now, the kindred represents your clan. That's your identity. That's your identity. And, you know, in a clan is really a place where you, where all the people have similar interests. Do you know that Abram's father, Haran, actually, was a worshiper of idols? And that's why when they went, came to, I believe, from Ur to Tehran or wherever that, I've forgotten the city exactly, wherever they came there, that's why he was actually going to Canaan, if you read the scripture. But he got held up there. And some of the early Jewish uh, history literature tells us that Abraham's brother was actually the head of a, a temple of worship of idols. So you see why the Lord told Abram, I want you to get out of there. You know, say, well, I can be such an influence here. You know, I've been delivered from alcohol. I can go into the bars. You better leave the bars alone, right? Or I can can go into the nightclubs because I've been delivered from that. No, God said, get out of there. Get out of that. Get out of that old identity. Walk in the new identity. You're now a kingdom child. You don't have the identity of your kindred. You don't have the interest of your clan that you left. And then the third thing he said, I want you to do is leave your father's house. And I believe that represents the family culture. The family culture. I believe it represents generational circumstances generational circumstances. Many people have had to leave families to serve the Lord because the generational influences were too strong. They also have to break off generational influences that are continuing to rob them of God's blessing. They have to, they have to break off generational influences, habits. Well, all my family was addicts. You don't have to be an addict anymore. You, John one twelve says you're a child of the Most High God. Well, my family has heart disease. Well, God's going to give you a plan so you don't have to have heart disease. You can break off those circumstances. Learn to walk in that that word that God has given to get the now word. Don't live on the past word. All my family's always been in poverty. Well, it stops with you. When God says what you put your hands to will prosper. He said you're the head, not the tail, above only, not beneath. Who are you going to believe? 
Whatever you believe, you empower. Whatever you believe, you empower. So we need to break off from, we need to break those old ungodly covenants. We need to get rid of that old identity. And we need to begin to break off any generational baggage that we are continuing to carry with us. Any baggage that we're continuing to carry. And we have to understand that God called Abraham for a purpose. He didn't just call him out. He said, he's got a purpose for him. And what did he tell him he wanted to do? He said he needed a people that he could reveal himself through. He said, he told Abraham, he says, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. But he needed a people that he could reveal himself through to the rest of the world. You know, God still does that. They're supposed to see the love of God through the church and not a slamming them people hitting them over the head with the bible because they make a mistake or they you know we eat our own don't we we eat our own if the world could just see the love of god that he has for people and you know he also wanted a people that would come out and be separate here again we were talking about what abraham was let me just read this in second corinthians lord show me this this morning it says don't team up with those who are unbelievers you say, well, how am I going to witness to them? There's a big difference between teaming up with somebody and witnessing to somebody. There's a big difference with fellowship with somebody and witnessing to somebody. You show them the love, but you don't have to be their best buddy, right? Because they're, they're going to want to go do the things they enjoy. See, they've still got world, worldly covenants. We don't need to get in fellowship with somebody that still has worldly covenants attached to them. He says... How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live in darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? When you're getting, when you're thinking about marrying somebody, they better not be an unbeliever if you're a believer. Well, I'm going to win them to the Lord. Probably not. Probably not. You're going to be influenced by them because the old lust of the flesh, remember, you got that virus lying dormant that's wanting its way. The devil's looking for a way to come in. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? What's on the throne of our heart? There's only room for one thing. See, God says there's going to be any other gods before me. In other words, I don't want to see anything else sitting in your heart but me. And then he says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Sounds just like Abraham, doesn't it? Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. And I will be your father. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. How can a believer believe Things that are contrary to the word of God. He said, you've got to come out from among them. How can a believer believe in immorality? How can a believer think it's okay to do certain things, to abort babies, homosexuality? There's no, the scripture is very clear. He says, come out from among that. Don't touch those filthy things. He said, then I'm going to be your father and you'll be my son. So the first thing he wanted to show himself, the second thing was he wanted to bless people. You know, who you think is blessing the people today? If you look out, if you, have you looked at, you know, Cooperative Christian Ministries is doing a bang-up job in our community, feeding the hungry. Churches, we're, we're feeding people. We're sending supplies and money to other nations. Why? Because God has blessed us. We open up the pipeline. We bless others. Right? And so John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. See, that's how much God loves the world. He loved the world so much that he made total provision for the whole world's salvation. That's how much he loved us. He, made, he didn't just say, it's only my little few. He said, I want the whole world saved, but through the church is how we're going to get the message out. See, we want the, he wants the glory of the knowledge of the Lord covering the earth, right? So through the church, the world is supposed to be blessed. And, and you know, radical faith is nothing new in Scripture. Let me just read just a few verses out of Hebrews. Out of Hebrews, it says, and you're familiar with all this, Hebrews 11 says, For it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to compromise. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasure of sin. He was separated, pulled himself out. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who was invisible. 
It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover, to sprinkle the blood on the doorpost, so that the angels of death would not kill their firstborn. It was by faith that the people of Israel were right through the Red Sea, as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. Let me, that's another point I want to make. How many times do you ever see God tell people to march around a wall and the walls fall? One time, right? We need the, I can't emphasize it enough. Get the word for today for what you're going through. Don't go back to something somebody said 20, 30, 50 years ago. It might be valid, but has God, has God put that into your heart that this is a valid word for today? And there's a lot of great prophetic words that are out there from years ago. Did he spark it? Is it, is it rhema to you? Is it rhema to you? And so he said, It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she was given a friendly welcome to the spies. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. There's some kingdoms, there's, there's systems of evil that we need to overthrow. And the church is the only one with the authority to do it. Because what's happening in the world when two evil kingdoms combat, it's just one evil force overcoming another one. We need to get rid of it, don't we? We need to get rid of that evil. He says they overthrew kingdoms, they ruled with justice, they received what God had promised them, they shut the mouths of lions. How many lions' mouths have we shut? They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Listen to this. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. What price are we willing to pay? They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. And then verse 38 says they were too good for this world. They were too good. Let me tell you, you guys are too good for this world if you stay strong. You're too good for the world and what the world has to offer. The world has nothing to compare to what you possess if you'll see yourself that way. See, the church has, can have its greatest hour if we begin to see what God is really seeing and hear what the Spirit is saying. The church can have its greatest hour. And I believe the prophets are confirming what we've been hearing. The prophets are, are confirming that there is a time coming, but there's also that, that great harvest that's coming. They're confirming that Pentecost is to be a day where there's a, a new outpouring, fresh and new, on the body of Christ, the church. Can we believe that? And it's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to wake up. Let, I want you to know there's an evil power that wants to influence you, and there's an evil power that wants to eliminate God's promises in your life. You cannot allow yourself to think negatively. You cannot allow yourself to go in that direction. You always have, when that thought pops in there, you can't control what you think many times, but you can control that it stays there. When the devil comes to you and says, your kid's never going, I've got your kid. How many, the devil ever said that to you sometimes? You say, no, great is the peace of my children. They're all taught of the Lord. Me and my household will be saved. That's what the word of God says. Devil, you get behind me. I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. When the devil says, oh, I don't know what you're going to do, you're going you're gonna to lose everything you've got. No, my God is my provider. He is my, my Jehovah Jireh. He provides my needs. Needs, And if, if I lose this job, he'll just give me a better one. Or maybe he'll give me a business like Ron and Duke are doing. See, this is a time of witty inventions. Let me tell you that. That's a word for all of you out there. This is a time for witty inventions. And God wants to give you that now word to do so. But you've got to get up off of it. Turn the TV off. Right? Quit being apathetic and get into the Word and listen to what God is saying. He's given, He'll give you that clear direction. It's a time. I want to ask us, do we see it? Do we see it? Ephesians 6.12 says, Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings. See, it's not the president. It's not the governor. It's not, it's not Obama. It's not Trump. It's not Pelosi. It's none of those. It's an evil spirit that wants to control and manipulate the people that are making these bad decisions. See, it's an evil spirit. We believe our governor is not an evil man, but he's making some wrong decisions concerning the church. Well, who do you think is influencing him? He's getting facts. He's getting information that's being, I think, it's a little bit out of construed or whatever, misconstrued. But he's not an evil person at all. 
You see, so we, we can't, it's not flesh and blood. It's not human beings that we get upset with. It's the spirit that drives these things to have, they have their own agenda to destroy the church, to destroy this nation. It says, but your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating where? In rebellion under the heavenly realms where they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. So our prayers are not against a person. Our prayers are against the principalities and powers that are ruling these these governments. Every government has an evil principality assigned to it. Every city has, an, has a principality assigned to it. We have to realize it's scriptural. Acts 17.6 said, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here. I want them to say that about impact. Man, that church is turning Concord upside down. That's what I want to hear, right? Not just doing little, you know, not just having conferences and concerts. That doesn't do anything. We're turning the city upside down. The, the, the abortion rate's dropping. The addiction rates are going down. People are getting delivered. People are getting healed. When nobody else could do anything, they're coming in. They're getting healed by the power of God. See, that's turning a city upside down. That's having bars and, and lounges and all this stuff that's anti-God, having those closed up because there's no business because everybody's getting saved. Right? That's what we're looking for. Isaiah 23, 11, he has stretched out his hand over the sea. He has shaken the kingdoms. The Lord has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its, con- its strongholds. See, you can never make it about a person. It's not about a denomination. It's not about a political party. Don't be foolish in thinking that. If you have, if, let me just say, if you have team A and team B, and team A has this set of beliefs and team B has this set of beliefs, well, if this set of beliefs are anti-biblical, you don't want to go with team A, do you? You know, it's not about what, you know, well, I've always been part of Team A. My family was Team A. Well, but they're, they're anti-God now. Maybe they weren't anti-God 20 years ago or 30 years ago. They're anti-God today. Well, you know, everybody on Team B is not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? I'm not talking about perfect. I'm talking about the Word of God. I'm talking about the Word of God. What are we believing? One final scripture, several verses. Second Corinthians says, and even if our gospel is, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. See, the devil deceives. He clo- it says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus Christ. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. We have this treasure in these jars of clay. You have the power that raised Christ from the dead living inside of you if you're a believer. If you're a believer. It says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted. But we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believed and so we speak. We speak what the word of God says. Yes, it might be tough, but we're not going to be destroyed. We might have to not enjoy some things, but we're not going to be, we're not going to be devastated, right? I want to read a quote that came out of my son's paper that he wrote. He's working on his doctorate in um, strategic leadership. And I, it just really touched my heart when I read that. He sent it to me to read. And this is what he said. He said, leadership is an art that must be practiced daily if the leaders are to sharpen their skills and successfully lead their organizational teams. Leaders who practice their style in coordination with biblical principles will develop a foundation that will not be shaken when the first leadership obstacle appears. What, what is he saying? He's saying we've got to stay focused. We've got to stay alert. We've got to blend what we do with biblical principles. We live our life according to biblical principles. And then when things happen, we don't get knocked out of the, of the game. We're not disqualifying ourselves because we're constantly staying in, in focus. We're constantly sharpening our skills. We're, we're in charge daily. We know who we are. We're renewing our mind in the things of God. And, and you know, we're in battle. We're in battle. 
You know, if you've if you got nothing else to do one day, Google the nine principles of war. And just, I want you to draw a parallel with those nine principles to Scripture. It's powerful. It's powerful. But we have to, we have to be on our toes. We have to be always sharp, always sharpening our ears to hear, God, what are you saying today? What are you saying today? And you know, the other thing is, the very first of the nine principles of war says that the objective has to be very clear. And if the objective isn't clear, the church is walking around in darkness and confusion. If your objective is not clear, this is, this is the objective to destroy the works of the enemy. Same, the same thing that Jesus, he said, he came to, that's your objective. How are you going to do it? You, tomorrow you might do it one way. Next day you might do it another way. You might run into somebody at the mall when the mall opens or whatever. Or your neighbor might come and, and you, maybe they just need, need, maybe the enemy's causing a lot of depression and discouragement. So you have the answer of hope. The church is the only voice of hope. You should be excited to realize this if you didn't realize it. This should make you the happiest person in the world. Let me tell you, you're victorious. You're more than a conqueror. We might get a punch in. He might get a punch in, but we don't go down, right? He might get a punch in, but we're not going down. The nation's not going down. This nation is the greatest nation on the earth, and the church is going to make sure it stays that way. The church is going to make sure. Let me tell you, you've been called to lead the charge in your job, in your homes, in your city, in your schools. It's time for some of our young people to rise up and become those, those Samuels in the schools, those Davids, those Daniels, those Esthers. And quick, get off their cell phones and, and, and get into the Word of God. Right? Their minds are wrapped around all this cell phone stuff, and, they, and so they're so consumed with all these crazy games and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. I mean, adults could use some little issues there too. But let me tell you, we need to get our head into this word, right? I like Facebook. We're on Facebook, so stay on Facebook. Just don't spend 24 hours on it, right? Use everything in moderation, right? These are great tools. They're great tools, but don't be, don't be addicted to these tools. Don't let them control your mind. Learn how to think for yourself. You know, the church needs to know how to think for itself, I read, I think it was somewhere this week, it says we're, we're given a lot of knowledge, but we're never, we're not taught how to think. We're taught how to learn knowledge, but we're not taught how to think. And I think that's been true in the church too, because you've had the, the, the super holy one that delivers every Sunday. Nobody ever reads their Bible. Nobody really knows for themselves. Nobody learns to think on their own. Let me tell you, you need to be in the Word every single day. Every single day. We have to understand we're called for confrontation. We're called to intercede. We're called for warfare. We're called for kingdom business. And we're called to be a kingdom church. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. amen. Lord, we're just so thankful for just God. It's so exciting what you've done for us. It's so exciting, Lord, that you've allowed us to be a part of what you're doing in the earth, Lord. God, it's so exciting, Lord, that we get to push back darkness in the lives of people that you love and that you care about. God, it's so exciting that we can lay hands on the sick and they recover. That we can take authority over that evil that's trying to destroy our children. That we can lay hands on those that are addicted and they can be set free. It's so exciting to know that we've been given that authority. God, we choose to walk in it. We choose to be a kingdom church. We choose to be a kingdom business. We choose, we choose to be a kingdom people. And we're not going to allow the devil to have one inch in our life. We break his power over our families, over our children, over our businesses. In the name of Jesus, we say, devil, you must push back. We take authority over you. You're under our feet. We trample you with our feet. You have nothing in us that belongs to you. And we thank you, God, that we have all, all that you've given to us for life and godliness. Lord, we're so appreciative. Thank you, God. And I just pray blessing on every person here, every person watching. And we just declare his glory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.